For those of you who don't know me, I'm Carl Hathaway. I'm one of the elders here at Grace. And Greg uh, asked if we would cover the pulpit while he was on his uh, time off. And he said we could either preach a sermon or we could give our testimony. And I've preached sermons before when I was at Crosspoint. I had that opportunity, but I'm not going to compete with Benji. It's not worth it, you know. <laughs> There's no way. So what, what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell a story of God's redemption of a sinner, uh, how he reached down and chased me all over the countryside to bring me to, to redemption. So uh, we'll start with the fact that I was born in 1951 right here in Santa Maria. How many of you remember Sisters Hospital? Yeah, that was, that was where I was born. My mom was a Jack Mormon. Uh, she was black sheep of the family because she married my dad. And so she had been kicked out of the family. And uh, my dad uh, wasn't an atheist. He was an agnostic. But you may have known him. He was a CHP for 30 years here in town, Don Hathaway. You may have gotten a ticket from him. I don't know. He, he didn't write a whole lot. Oh, <laughs> he didn't write a whole lot of them. But they called him one-a-day Hathaway because he hate to write tickets. But uh, if you go to Casa Manana, has anybody ever been to Casa Manana? There's a picture on the wall. That's my dad. Yeah, so he was a cop here for a long time. I was baptized as an infant uh, in the Mormon church. So, baby, I'm covered. I'm covered. If I, I got it down, man. I mean, my mom took me and got me baptized. So I'm still on the books in the Mormon church. So Then my mom started taking me to a Presbyterian church and just dropped me off. And you talk about bad news. I mean, Cook Street dropped me off. I hated church. With a passion, I hated church because of that. And I stayed there. She'd take me every Sunday until I got my Bible with my name on it in gold. And then I booked. I never went back. And I didn't look back. It just didn't have any impact on me. And I, I didn't enjoy it. And uh, it was just, it, it didn't have any, well, I didn't think it had impact on me. Obviously, it did. But nothing that I could see when I was a kid. Uh, I started playing baseball when I was nine years old. I played for a team called Kirk Lumber. Couldn't hit worth dirt. I was just, I was terrible. My lifetime batting average is 109, guys. But I had a killer arm. I had a great glove and a killer arm. So uh, I was able to continue to play. Bat, batted ninth. Think about that. My whole life, bat ninth. I wasn't a pitcher. <laughs> I'm still batting ninth. That was terrible. Um, went to work at Main Street School in kindergarten, then Miller till second grade, Nightingale through fifth, Airport to sixth, Orchid seventh, Lakeview till eighth, then Rigetti High School. So I hit all the schools uh, as I grew up here. Played football and baseball there at Rigetti. Got hurt my uh, senior year uh, in football. Jammed my neck real bad, and I spent four days in the hospital in traction. And if you see me shaking, it's not because I'm scared. It's I've been diagnosed with Parkinson's. So. I'm vibrating because, you know, it's not because I'm afraid of you folks. But uh. <laughs> Anyway, uh, I was a good, solid B plus, A minus student. I could have got A's if I wanted to. But, you know, my brother was the A student, and I just had, didn't have any uh, reason to work that hard for the grades. So I just kind of skimmed through high school pretty easily. In my senior year, I started drinking and uh, partying. And Friday and Saturday nights, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd go to parties and drink. When I, and this is when I was 18, and you could still get beer back then. It wasn't too hard. Um, but I missed a lot of the parties because I started working real hard. I, I was a, a, a cook at the Ranch House restaurant. I was a busboy, dishwasher, then became a barbecue chef at 18. I was cooking on Mondays and, and Sunday nights. So if you ever went to the Ranch House restaurant back when, that was me cooking for you. So started early uh, at barbecuing. Graduated high school in 1969. And a friend of my dad worked in the oil fields, Union Oil, up on Orchid Hill. And he got me a summer job 
as a roustabout out there. At the time, minimum wage was a dollar, making big bucks. Unical paid four fifty an hour. Oil fields, Larry, you made a big mistake, man. You went the wrong way. Uh, I was rich, four fifty an hour, man. I mean, that, that's, that's big money. And my dad's friend, he, he told me, he says, hey, if you want this to continue, you need to go get an engineering degree. Engineering. I'd never worked on a car. I, mean, I couldn't spell engineer, but I are one. You've seen that one. Uh, so I thought, well, what the heck? I'll go to school, become a mechanical engineer. And so I, I, I headed that way. Uh, started at Hancock for two years, where I met my wife of 46 years, Daniil Grocott. It was her maiden name. And I uh, started dating in 1970. I was playing baseball at the time, but you got to picture it. Uh, what was my batting average? 109. You go to Hancock and you're a catcher. Well, Whitey Province is already catching. And uh, the coach said, we don't need a catcher. So what do you do if you can't hit in baseball? You pitch. Yeah. <laughs> you pitch. Remember, I got a cannon for an arm. And so uh, uh, I started pitching at Hancock, and I, I got into two games in the first my freshman year. Sophomore year, I was a starter. I went 8-0 in the league. And I was good enough I got a full ride to Cal Poly. Sounds impressive, does it not? Full ride to Cal Poly. 1972, you know what the tuition at Cal Poly was? <laughs> 55 bucks. <laughs> Full ride, whoopee! <laughs> yeah, fifty-five dollars a quarter and ten dollars for a parking fee. You know, it was, yeah. but all the time I was going through this time. Remember, I told you I was partying. God never entered my mind. He just never was a thought. He never even crossed my mind. Never, ever did I think about God. And so I was dating Neil, playing baseball, working in the oil fields during summer, making great money. And uh, God just didn't figure into my plans. So when I got to Cal Poly, I was the first engineering student to ever play baseball at Cal Poly because it's difficult to do both. Uh, baseball is all-consuming there. I found out real quick when I got there that college baseball isn't the same at Division I as it is at uh, junior college. <laughs> I learned real quick I wasn't as good as I thought I was. But I blew my elbow out my, uh, my, my sophomore year, junior year. And they didn't have Tommy John surgery at the time, and that's what I had done, same thing Tommy John did. So I just pitched in pain. Now, here's the deal. I came out of Cal Poly with a 2-0 record. If you guys know baseball, that's not bad, 2-0, right? Huh? Yeah? Guess what my ERA was? 8.7. <laughs> hey, I'll tell you how that, if you want to know, ask me. I got away with it. I didn't lose a game at Cal Poly. I cost them nothing. So I, I don't feel too bad about it. But I was still partying. I was a brain-dead 20-year-old. Um, if you look up stupid in a dictionary, they got my picture next to it. I mean, it's just one of those things. In February of 1972, Daniil and I got married while I was uh, at Poly. And so I'm 20 years old, I'm married, I turned 21, I now have a child, Jennifer. And uh, so Daniil, Daniil, you know, um, got pregnant and we had, had Jennifer, so I'm, I'm playing baseball, I'm going to Cal Poly, and I have a child. My life looked like this, I started school at seven, Got done with classes at 1, went to baseball at 2, was done by 5, I went to a job at 7-11 at 6, got home at 11, next day got up and did it again. Everybody, did you enjoy school? I hated school. It was a terrible time. It was just a grind. And did it drive me to God? No, that's right, no. God still wasn't anything in my head, just wasn't even thinking about it. Daniil was at home babysitting for extra money. The neighborhood women... Thank you, neighborhood women. Reached out to her and invited her to church, and she went. And, and uh, I stayed home and watched the kids while she went. She then invited me to dinner with some of her church friends. I went. Now, you talk about weird people. 
and, and I'm not knocking it, they were mostly older folks. <laughs> and, uh, and so I, I had zero interest. It just didn't pique my curiosity. It, it just didn't get me motivated to even go. So I wasn't buying it. No real thought of God until spring of 1973. If you've been to Cal Poly, they have a quad there and where you can just sit and do whatever. And I was sitting there, it was a sunny day, and I looked up and I made eye contact. Campus Crusade for Christ. Here they come. I just went, oh no. I looked down real quick. Didn't do me any good. Here they come, four spiritual laws coming my way. And, I, and the fact of the matter is I listened. I actually listened to them. And they told me, you need to make a decision. He's either going to be the, the king sitting on the throne. I, I remember, I, I, I heard it. I walked away and I went, they're right. I'm an atheist. I don't believe. And I, I remember vividly doing this as I was walking along and I go, God, if you exist, strike me with light and you go ahead and prove something. I mean, that's how stupid I was. I was Thank God he didn't take me up on it, you know. <laughs> I'd be crispy crittered. Um, but I survived school, graduated June 1974, went to work for Getty Oil in Taft, California. There's a garden spot. Um, <laughs> there is no inflation in America, right? I started 11.50 a month. And I was rich, $13,680 a year. And that was big money back then. That was engineering. I mean, you know, I was making engineering money, Larry. You were just making you know, government money. <laughs> I was getting rich. But March 1975, we had our second daughter, Dawn. Life was good by my standards. Um, you know, One of the things I had done, uh, like, like a wise man, was I had borrowed some money and bought a, bought a motorcycle, Yamaha DT360. Neil did not like that bike. She didn't particularly like the fact that I borrowed money to buy it either. Um, but in 75, we had done. Life was good. Um, and at that time, the oil industry was not the oil industry of today. It was party central. I mean party central. We would, uh, a vendor would come by Friday afternoons. We'd go to lunch. We wouldn't come back to work. We, no, I'm serious. I mean, we stayed in the bar. You know, That's where we went. We'd call our wives and say, hey, get a babysitter, come down and get free dinner. We got a vendor down here, he's paying for it. And so, you know, we partied hard. Um, and then you'll get a babysitter, come down. But by the end of 75, my marriage was starting to get rocky. Um, Daniil had started going to Women's Bible Study Fellowship. And she attended church every Sunday. Yeah, it's, trust me, it was a good thing. Um, I go riding every Sunday, man. I mean, if you've seen the movie on any Sunday, Bruce Brown, that was me. I was riding every Sunday. I was, I was with my friends. I was, but I'd go riding, and I'd spend the rest of the afternoon drinking beer. You know, I'm like Kavanaugh. I liked beer, you know? Um, and so I, it, it seemed like the right thing to be doing to me. And deal, Daniil would bug me every Sunday. Will you please go to church with me? No, I'm going riding with my friends, was the answer she got over and over and over. And you've heard of people that say they are a golf widow. Danielle wasn't a golf widow, she was a motorcycle widow. She didn't see me on Sundays, I was out riding, and then I was with my friends the rest of the day and I'd come home in the evening, so. Eventually she began to make her opinion known every week. And she began to really ride me hard. And so I remember vividly one Sunday when I came home from riding, she started in on me. And I can still remember my response. You gotta remember now, I'm 24 years old and I am not mature. I'm still partying. Still an idiot. My answer to her was, you can take the girls and leave. The motorcycle stays. Now think about that. I chose a motorcycle over my wife and kids. That's where I was. That was my life, and it's exactly where I was. 
thank God some friends of Daniil's came alongside her from, from the fellowship study, and they counseled her from Corinthians chapter 7. And she chose to stay with me. And she chose to love me. And so it was really the start of the pursuit of God for my soul. He began to chase me. Daniil suddenly became a Stepford wife. I'd come home from riding on Sunday, and she'd say, how was your ride, honey? Yeah, it's like, okay, the body snatchers have arrived. <laughs> and she just began to love me unconditionally. I mean, when I was bad, she didn't care. She still loved me. When I was obnoxious, she still loved me. It was just one of those things. And so she, one day she told me that there was a new youth pastor coming to uh, her church, and would I like to go with her that evening and listen to her? Now, here's the Holy Spirit thing, folks. I said yes. I said, yeah. I said, yes. I go, yeah, I'll go. Who knows why? I, well, I know why. It's because she loved me. And we were no longer, there was no longer friction there. It was just a, uh, she continued to offer to take me. And I said, yeah, I'll go with you. And so a guy named David Woodworth was speaking that night. Now, has anybody ever heard, the, you, a lot of people looked at that paper I put on your desk, on your seat there, and you came and you wondered what it was. Anybody ever heard the prophecy of the city of Tyre in Ezekiel 28? Have you ever read it? Okay, you've read, you've read the prophecy. Good. David was talking that night about why he believed the Bible was true. And he used Ezekiel 28 as his proof text, the one that, that made him start to believe it. And what I want to do is read the verses first, so I'll read those with you. I'll read them to you, and you can read along. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Tyre, and I will bring up many nations against you as the sea brings up its waves. They will destroy the walls of Tyre and break down her towers, and I will scrape her debris from her and make her a bare rock. She shall be a place for the spreading of nits and in the midst of the sea, for I have spoken, declares the Lord God. Also her daughters who are on the mainland will be slain by the sword, and they will know that I am the Lord. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will bring upon Tyre from the north Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, king of kings, with horses, chariots, cavalry, and a great army. He will slay your daughters on the mainland with the sword, and he will make siege walls against you, cast up a ramp against you, and raise up a large shield against you. Also, they will make a spoil of your riches and a prey of your merchandise. Break down your walls and throw your stones and your timbers and your debris into the water. I will make you a bare rock. You will be a place for the spreading of nits. You will be built no more, for I, the Lord, have spoken, declares the Lord God. I shall bring terrors on you, and you will be no more. Though you will be sought, you will never be found again, declares the Lord God. Ezekiel wrote that prophecy between 592 and 570 B.C., Okay, and I wanted to just share with you what David told me that got me thinking about Scripture. Ancient city of Tyre was a very large coastal city. If you flip your map over, you can, or your paper, you can see a picture of the city. It was actually two cities. It was a coastal city. It was, it was a mainland city. It was an island city. The island city was walled, as was the mainland city, but the island city had, had large walls. And so it was fairly protected because you had to attack it by ship. You couldn't attack it by land. And so it was a very, very wealthy city, um, had trade, uh, came through Tyre. So, so a lot of the trade through that area came through Tyre. And uh, uh, the predictions that, that were made there was Nebuchadnezzar will destroy the mainland city of Tyre. So Nebuchadnezzar was not going to destroy the island city. You've got to remember Ezekiel's being very specific about what he's saying here. And says so he said mainland city of Tyre. That was specific in his prophecy. Many nations will rise against Tyre, that's 26.3, 
God will make Tyre a bare rock, flat like the top of a rock. The fishermen will spread nets over the site, 26.5. They're going to take the city of Tyre and they're going to throw the debris from the city into the water. That's quite a prediction, you know, that, that the city will be tossed into the water. Never to be rebuilt, never to be found again. The fulfillment of this prophecy started in 573, three years after Ezekiel wrote it down. Nebuchadnezzar laid siege to the mainland, the mainland city of Tyre, not the, not the island city. And after a 13-year siege, Tyre surrendered to him. When they opened the gates, most of the people were gone. They had fled to the offshore city where it was walled and they were protected and Nebuchadnezzar couldn't get to them. And so Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the mainland city of Tyre, 26 8 it's just like Ezekiel prophesied, three years later, here comes Nebuchadnezzar, levels the city, the mainland city, the, the city of Tyre sitting on the island, couldn't be attacked, he had no boats. And so it, it survived and thrived for a couple hundred more years. And so uh, Nebuchadnezzar uh, did exactly what Ezekiel said he would do. The next attack came in 333 B.C. when Alexander the Great shows up. Uh, his normal procedure because Alexander the Great's Alexander the Great was to knock on the door and say, if you want to give up, I'll let you. And if they opened the city gates, he wouldn't kill them. So he shows up, and he, he gives Tyre an opportunity to surrender and tells them the people would, would survive. When he got to Tyre, they refused to surrender, so Alexander laid siege to the island city. Okay, now he's coming after the island city. Remember, it's already been destroyed on the mainland. He's coming after the island city. And he didn't have any boats, so... If you don't have any boats, how do you get out there? Flip your map over, you can see what he did. He took the mainland city of Tyre and he tossed it in the ocean. Now, what did Ezekiel say was going to happen to the city of Tyre? It's going to be tossed into the sea. And so he tosses it into the ocean and he makes a causeway out to the island. And so Ezekiel, amazing, how does he do that stuff? But he, he throws it into the ocean, makes a causeway, he, he built siege towers... But the people of Tyre snuck out of the city, burned them down, so he couldn't use the siege towers. So then he, he went and he had the other places he had conquered build ships for him. And with ships and with, a, with the causeway built and a seven-year siege, he reduces the walled city to ruins in 332 B.C. And the causeway is still there. You can see if you want to Google, you know, Google Earth it. It's there. You can see it. The, 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 the island is no longer an island. It's been... It's been captured by, by a causeway that goes out there. Um, he leveled the city, now, and, and when you look at it today, it's, it's still a great island, has ports and everything, but when you look at it, it's, it's ruins. There's really been nothing been put back there. Half of it is a bare rock. Guess what it's used for? Anybody want to guess what it's used for? Spreading nets. That's right. Tyre just never really rebuilt. It's still a fisherman's city is what it is today, and the fishermen spread their nets to dry on the ancient city of Tyre. So in, in any event, um, 18 years after Alexander, mainland Tyre recovered quite a bit, and Antigonus was coming back from a successful war in Babylon, and he thought, what the heck, I'll attack Tyre. And so he comes against Tyre. And again, he knocks the mainland city of Tyre into rubble. Tyre was eventually captured by the Muslims, which was right during the Crusades. So what do you think happened there? Many, many, many nations came against Tyre once again to attack it because of the Crusades. What did Ezekiel say? Many nations will be against you. So you look at that. Anyway, this is, this is what David preached that evening. And his talk intrigued me. I mean, I just went, wow. Did God just get it lucky? <laughs> 
I mean, did he just guess and get it right? And so I, and Daniil almost died when I did this, but when David finished, he said, hey, if anybody wants to know more about why I believe the Bible is true, come up and talk to me. I got up and went and talked to him. So I go up to David and I get to talking to him. And I mean, the Holy Spirit was in overdrive at this point, guys. I mean, it was chasing me and, and dragging me by the throat. You, know, you need to do this. And so I went up to David and David convinced me to start a Bible study with him. And so David got a couple friends of mine from work who were believers, and we started a Bible study. And so I studied on Wednesday nights with, with David and a few other folks for over a year. And uh, that's when, you know, the Holy Spirit really began to work on me. And, and uh, uh, I think at the end of the year, I probably had more questions than I had answers. I really did. The more, the more I studied and read Scripture, as a non-believer, I was perplexed more than anything. I, I wasn't convinced of anything about that. And so um, we studied, and the Holy Spirit worked on me. And, and everywhere I turned, it seemed that something was being said about Christianity during that year. I couldn't go anywhere. I didn't hear somebody talking about Christ. Now, maybe they had been doing that before, and I just wasn't hearing it. But everywhere I went, I was hearing the name of Christ. And so, you know, it's just the Holy Spirit going, hey, you getting tired of hearing this? Maybe you should do something about it. I'll tell you, the, the, the one that finally got me after, after a year of this was I was at a seminar in Long Beach. I was having lunch at the Queen Mary, and the keynote speaker that day was the president and CEO of Parker Drilling, who's the largest drilling corporation in, in the world at the time. Um, and I, I wish I could remember his name, but I, I don't. So when I get there, I'll thank him. But I can't, I can't remember his name. But, but in any event, I'm sitting there kind of you know, half listening to him, and he was talking about how he had access to the President of the United States. And in an offhand flip, he goes, and the reason is because I'm a Christian. And then he gave a short testimony. And I remember sitting there at lunch and going, my God, just leave me alone. Can I not go anywhere and not hear the name of the Lord mentioned? I mean, it was just persistent and just kept going. And so that week I went to David and I met him for lunch and I go, David, I go, here's the deal. I go, what's in it for me to make a decision for Christ? I got a great job. I'm making great money. I got a great wife that loves me. I got two wonderful children. I got great friends. I get to ride my motorcycle. I still enjoy life. I go, why would I give any of that up or change any of that and make a decision for Christ? David gave me a real profound answer. He says, I can't make that decision for you. It's just one you have to make on your own. Well, thank you, David, so much for, for giving me that advice. But in any event, three nights later, <clears throat> back in the old days, uh, when we were on duty, we were on duty 24-7 for seven days, and I had to catch something going on at the rig at 2 o'clock in the morning out in Lost Hills. I don't know if anybody knows where Lost Hills is, out in 33, middle of nowhere. And I'm driving home. Remember now, the Holy Spirit's been chasing me for over a year. And I'm driving home, and for no reason I can even imagine, I prayed to receive Christ. I'm just driving down the road, and I go, i got to do this. And, and so I prayed to receive Christ, and I'm waiting for the feeling, right? I'm waiting for the feeling. Because I had heard it for, forever. I'd been going to church for a while with Daniel. You know, you come to the Lord and, you, and all your sins are forgiven and the weight of the world will be lifted off, you know, and you'll have. I mean, I was looking for the burning bosom like the Mormons had told me. <laughs> and I didn't get anything, guys. I got Zippo. Nothing, no feeling, no, nothing changed. So I go home, I go to bed, and this is on a Thursday night. And 
And I don't tell Danielle. I don't say anything to her. I just go to bed and didn't say much about it. And so the next night, believe it or not, I'm in Lost Hills, 2 o'clock in the morning. Repeat. Same thing, driving home. And I'm driving along. And I'm, I'm thinking, okay, I did it wrong. I either wasn't sincere in my prayer or I didn't say the right words. Because obviously I'm not a Christian. And so I repeated the prayer and I didn't get an overwhelming sense of peace, nothing. And so I'm thinking, okay, I'll ask God for a sign. And so I go, God, if, if I've done this right, give me a shooting star. He chose not to. Now, I thought that would have been cool. <laughs> would that be a great testimony? Huh? <laughs> and then a shooting star. It didn't happen. It didn't happen. Nothing. I got no feeling. I still, you know, and I'm no shooting star, no nothing. So I go home, crawl into bed at 3 in the morning. Don't tell Daniel anything. This is Friday night. I get up, go to church because I'm still going to church with Neil. But I'm, st I'm still not, folks, I'm still not getting a whole lot out of church. I'm not a believer. You know, it's just not. So I'm kind of sitting there dozing to a certain degree. And suddenly I tune in to what the pastor's talking about. You're going to love this. If you're waiting for a sign from God to convince you that you're a believer, something like a shooting star, you can be waiting for a long time. And then he went on to explain how everybody, you know, comes to Christ in a different way. And I'm going, duh! <laughs> I didn't get my shooting star, which I still think would have been cool. But I got the next best thing. And so I just, you know, uh, you get up and you, you walk forward and Daniel's sitting there going, Where's, you know, like, is he going to go hit him? In the, the service, I went forward and received Christ. I'd already received him, of course. I mean, twice. I'd done it. But I went forward, that, that, and that was 41 years ago, and I've been walking in faith ever since. Um, and God has, yeah, tell me about it. God took a reprobate sinner, reached out with his grace, chased me down, hogtied me, and made me believe. And it's been a blessing. It's been a blessing, you know, that God, that God would do that for me. And I'll tell you what, he has proved himself over. He, he didn't give me the shooting star. He didn't give me the sign. But boy, I'll tell you what, throughout these 41 years, he has revealed himself to me in so many powerful ways. that There is no doubt, no question. He is the God of gods, and he is gracious and kind and loving. So anyway, I thank him for chasing me down. Uh, am I supposed to close in prayer, Chet? All right, let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be here. I thank you for each and every one who's taken time to be here, God. And I thank you so much that you have chased us all down. That you have revealed yourself to us in so many ways that we could know you and be your child. And so as we leave this place, I just pray you keep us safe. Bring us back next week. In Jesus' name, amen.